So I have to I have to tell you that I'm I'm really glad that Justin didn't um, you know kind of panic when he saw the the list of scriptures for this morning that there are three very long ones on the front of your bulletin but we're really only going to read one I put the others on there because that's the whole story and giving you a chance to look up some of the the background of what we're going to be talking about. But um, I didn't think Justin wanted to put in the PowerPoint or, um, you know, so many different scriptures. And I certainly didn't want to spend all my time with you reading those stories. So uh, please note that that much some of what I say is not directly related to the scripture I'm preaching or I'm reading to you today, but that some of the background comes from those other scriptures. I'm reading today, though, from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Hear these words of promise. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that will, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. May they enter our hearts and our souls. The word of God for the people of God. So last year at this time, um, my husband and I finished uh, kind of a long process of refinancing our home. Now, if you've ever had that experience, it is the most stressful time in the world. But what you need to know is that we started this process in March of that year. Um, but due to some complications, um, the process went on for months. And the motivation we had to enter into this contract or this refinance was because we wanted to, to kind of get a lower interest rate, which was really good at that point, and also to roll our second mortgage into our first mortgage. Um, we had gotten a second mortgage somewhere along the line, and we wanted to have one payment 
and the payment would be what we were what we had been paying. So it sounded like a really good thing. And but I was finishing up my ministry in Lagrand, and David told me that it wouldn't be complicated at all. And that, you know, he could handle everything. <laughs> Famous last words. Um, so as we entered into this process, there were some things that, that complicated it. One is, how do you explain to bankers the whole idea behind the interim ministry? You know, they want to see a long list of, you've been in your job for, you know, a lot of years, and they want to see all this stuff, but, but I changed jobs multiple times in the five years prior. I sometimes would do six months, sometimes a year and a half, sometimes two years, and so I'm trying to explain to them that this is the nature of my work. And they weren't getting it. And so they kept sending back document after document after document. And at one point they, they wanted me to prove um, what I was doing during the periods of times when I wasn't working. So I'm like, but that was like two weeks. One at one point and one at another. I'd only had a week between jobs in five years. And so, you know, it kept coming back to this. Well, then they needed an in-person appraisal. Now, how many of you have your closets and storage rooms completely clean? Not me. And remember, I'm living in La Grande. And they're doing this in Hillsboro. So they... You know, we had all this craziness. I didn't really want a stranger going through my closets, but that was the thing. And so we went through the whole, this whole thing. And then we get down to the, the ending place, and they let us know that, oh, two months ago, we, needed, we knew you needed to put two new heat sources in two of your rooms. And we had to order that and permit it and, and all of that. And so, you know, the more we're into this process the more frustrated I'm getting. You know, my husband's calm about these things, but I'm not. So we're going through this whole thing, but finally, we have new heaters, and a new heater in Sarah's room, and we have a new heater in the main bathroom, and things are looking really good. And there comes the day when we get to go sign the papers. And I have to tell you that the relief I felt putting my signature on, I don't know how many papers and how many times, was pretty amazing. And so what the whole gist of that is we were promising to pay a certain amount every month um, to the bank. And it was actually our, our credit union that was going through all this. So um, we got that done. And so, you know, kind of thinking about in terms of a promise being a contract or a covenant is also a promise. So a covenant is kind of a binding contract between two or more parties. That whole promise thing. Um, so when we look at our lives and we look at all the things that we covenant or promise or contract, you know, we do it a lot in our life, don't we? Um, one of the most um, common ones is the marriage covenant, the marriage contract, um, whether it happens in a church by a, a, 
an ordained pastor, if it happens, you know, in the um, with the justice of the peace or whatever that happens, you're you're making a promise, you're making a covenant. Um, a couple, and I'm not defining couple because I don't um, go into this covenant with each other, um, and that and so that's a part of our our life. Um, Today we begin this series that's looking at the covenants that God's people have entered into with God, or maybe a better way to put it is the, the covenants that God has entered into with God's people. That God is making this promise to God's people. We're going to look at that in a series of weeks. Um, each each week we'll add a kind of a different color of the rainbow. Um, today we have purple and we'll begin to build a rainbow. And so at the end of this series we'll have a rainbow. And I know that rainbows mean a lot in this congregation. So I'm really excited about doing that. And I'm excited that Stephen has offered to help me with that. So the very first covenant that we're going to look at is this covenant with Noah. Um, it's kind of the beginning of a relationship that God has with God's people. Um, and it will, this whole relationship will unfold and strengthen and, um, and even though it's sometimes a relationship between God and God's people is strained, it becomes this thing that, that if you look at a kind of a flywheel idea, I come from mechanics, but a flywheel, each part moves a little bit further until the whole thing goes. And this, this whole idea of God's promises then, we'll look at each of them, and the very last one is the covenant that Christ had through God with God's people. And so we'll end on that, which should take us almost to Advent as we begin to, to move forward in that. And, and so that'll be our backdrop of, of the time between now and Advent. So the idea of covenant is mentioned 323 times in the Hebrew Bible. Now, you may know that as, as the Old Testament, but it, in modern days, it's called the Hebrew Bible, originally written in the Hebrew language, um, which, by the way, is opposite of what you know, we read uh, left to right. Hebrew reads right to left. And, um, and the original Hebrew didn't have consonants. So it's quite, a, quite an interesting, I took Hebrew, a year of Hebrew when I was in seminary. And um, uh, it's very, uh, it's a very explicit language. Um, we have a lot of nuances in our language. Hebrew doesn't have that as much. So in the Hebrew Bible, 323 times is the mention of the word covenant. Now, I'm guessing that you kind of grew up, if you grew up in the church, hearing in 
early Bible school, um, the story of Noah and the ark. You know, they might even sing the song, Rise and Shine and Give God the Glory, Glory. You know that one? Yeah. You know, you're, those kinds of songs. And so we have kind of this idea of, um, of what the story is about. Um, but did you know that, that Christianity or even the, the, the Jews, the Hebrew Bible, isn't the only um, account of a flood in Near East, the Near Eastern culture. Um, there's been stories, Native Americans have stories about um, floods. There's, you know, all of the major religion, religions have stories about floods. And, um, and then kind of this, the flood happens, the earth dries, and then there's redemption and um, the sun shines. And so those stories are, are there. And so if you ask me, did, did this really happen? I don't know. I don't know if it really happened. But it has meaning to the, to the people and to us. Um, but the people that the, the, this story was written for, the people that passed this down from generation to generation, um, they understood what floods could do. They understood that the devastation that came with floods. Um, they knew the danger and the destructive power that happened if there was a flood. And so in this ancient time, the time that this was written, the idea that there could have been a flood so huge that it wiped out all life on the earth would have been imaginable. Water, such a necessary thing for life, is also powerful and uncontrollable. It's a force of nature. The ancient peoples of this world knew this power, and they knew how vulnerable they would. So as we kind of look at that, I don't think we need to know if this is something that actually happened. Although, when we look at science, there were extinction level events that they can document. So who knows? But here you'll find all of this story in um, Genesis uh, chapter six through nine. In chapter six, uh, it kind of tells the, the background of why this, this happened, why God would do this thing. And says, so the Lord saw the wickedness of humans was great in the earth that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he had made humans on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot from the earth the humans I have created, people together with animals and creepy things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Um, so in this story, humans on the earth are evil, or there is evil amongst the humans on the earth. I think I like to, to put it that way instead. Noah was found blame, blameless, 
And then it goes on in chapters seven and eight to talk about the instructions on how to make the art arc and how to um, fill it with animals. I asked one time, well, how big would this arc be? Any ideas? We have any, any, anything in our world that might be that big. I had someone one time tell me it was like a football field. Well, between the two goalposts would be about the size of an arc when you put all those measurements that are in the scriptures together. Um, I can't imagine something that big. Um, and probably, you know, two or three stories high. So a big, big thing. And Noah, we're told, was 600 years old. When Noah and his family and, all, and the animals entered the ark, the rains began and continued for 40 days. The whole earth was covered in water, and even after the rain stopped, the ark continued to float for 150 days until it grounded on the top of Mount Ararat. When the water receded, Noah sent out a raven, then a dove from the ark to see if they were if they could find dry land. When the water had receded enough, God told Noah and his family to come out of the ark. And then Noah did, the first thing he did was to build this altar. You know, his first thing he did was to build an, ark, an altar and express his gratitude and his obedience to God. Um, And then it was at that time, we're told in, I think it's chapter 9, verses 17, that the, the bow was put in the sky. You know, there's another little vignette in this story, because if he had only two of each animal, and he had to sacrifice animals on that altar, there had to have been, for some kinds of animals, there had to have been more than two because that wasn't enough time for generations of animals to grow up. So that's just a side note. There's two accounts of that. Some talk about clean animals and unclean animals and how many there were. So your guess is as good as mine. Um, as a sign of the new covenant with Noah and with all people, actually every living thing. You know, we often hear that this was, this was a covenant between God and God's people. But you know, it says it's a covenant with every living thing. All of the earth, all of the people, not just one species. Um, The, when you look at the Hebrew, the word that we often translate rainbow is bow. And um, it's sometimes used metaphorically for strength and power. God is putting a sign of God's strength and power in the sky 
for all people to know that he will never again destroy the earth. And then he's saying he's putting it in the clouds. And if you think about the idea of clouds, when the people left Egypt, when the Israelites left Egypt, in the daytime, what, what did they follow? A pillar of clouds. So clouds actually have some symbolism there as well. Now, how many of you kind of, when you hear this story of God destroying everything, are a little troubled by that story? I mean, it's one thing to sing, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, but knowing that all, that God destroyed all that, and, you know, I don't think we'll ever know exactly what that's about. That that, that, that is something that will trouble us will ask questions well how would God do this why would the God that I know is God of love destroy everybody and it's okay to ask those questions but what I would rather think about in this story is that when the covenant was made that it was actually a call for us to do something different, a call for God's people to take care of God's earth. You know, that, that, that it doesn't just get us off to say, oh, that happened way back then, but every time that we see a rainbow in the sky, what if it reminded us that we are here to take care of God's people and God's earth? What if that is what the whole point is? What if that, our relationship with God, calls us in that way? Because we may not, in our experience, know what it's like to have the devastation of a flood. We may have seen some flooding somewhere in our lives. But we do know what it's like to have violence and destruction in our world. We do know what that's like. And those things sometimes are like a flood. In the last few years, we've had a flood of political unrest. We've had a flood of, of hurricanes. We've had a flood of, you name it. We keep talking about that. We've had a flood of, of houseless neighbors who have no services to help them. We have a flood of poverty for our children. We have a flood of disagreements. We have a flood of problems within our families. We have a flood of racism. We have a flood, Do you kind of getting the picture that I'm painting here? It doesn't have to be water. It doesn't have to be something that happens a long, long time ago. It's right here and right now. But I think the answer is this covenantal relationship we have with God, God who calls us to work with God to bring light and life to the world around us. A bow in the kind of the 
when you go back to the Hebrew, a bow was a weapon of war, and that weapon of war becomes a symbol of light, a symbol of life, a symbol of hope. And that bow contains every color of creation. I think to show us the diversity of the world that's around us. It's not just one color. It's not even really one shade. I've seen rainbows that were really, you know, really opaque. I've seen rainbows that were so clear that you felt like if you just walked a few feet in front of you, you'd be able to touch those colors. If that's not a sign of diversity, I don't know what is. So this bow that was a, a symbol of war becomes a symbol of peace, becomes a symbol of hope, becomes a symbol of love for all living creatures. Invited into relationship with a covenant first put forth in this story. Just as the ancient world was aware of the challenge of fully living into this covenant, we are too. They knew the realities of injustice, the difficulty of of seeking a more just future. They knew the experiences of war and violence and the struggle to create lasting peace between all peoples. They knew the weight of human tragedy and wondered why they suffer. Why bad things happen to good people why bad, bad things happen at all. Why some people have so much and wield so much power and others have so little. Many of our deepest concerns are the same ones faced in generations past. And yet, despite the often challenging circumstances, that rainbow promise still shines brightly and calls to us. On the other side of the storm, as the floodwaters recede, there is a new dawn, a new promise, a new hope, a new day. How are we, right here, right now, living this covenantal relationship at this point in time, September 18th, 2022. How are we loving God? And how are we loving our neighbors? How are we loving creation? And I'm going to put this out there. We shouldn't leave ourselves out of that mix as well. 
Because the question remains, how are we loving ourselves? Because we too are members of God's beloved creation. Are we taking time to nurture all of these relationships? How are we remembering, honoring, and living into that rainbow promise made so long ago? The promise that inspired and informed our ancestors in faith and can inform us still. We've been wading through a lot of floodwaters lately. Floods of sickness, floods of grief, floods of racism, floods of economic disparity, floods of division and conflict, floods of uncertainty on so many levels, and it can be exhausting. But perhaps there is something. Perhaps if we're just brave enough, Perhaps even as we still navigate the floodwaters, there is something we can remember, and that is, after the storm, the clouds part. The sun will shine again, and we might just glimpse a new, a bright and colorful rainbow through the mist and remember the promises that God has for all living things, including us. Amen.